All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? We are going to have the UFC Fight Night Reyes versus Prohaska preview predictions and analysis episode of the podcast. We'll also be covering a uh, recap at UFC 261. I'm sorry there's no intro, but I'm kind of sick right now, so I don't want to <laughs> go too crazy with this, but I'm still going to get this out for you because, you know, you got to get the picks out, got to get the episodes out because it's been a little bit. But, uh, yeah, this fight night is great. I mean, Dominic Reyes versus Yuri Prohaska, that's one of the best fights you can make at the current point in the 205-pound UFC light heavyweight division. I mean, it's two completely opposite styles of fighters as well because when you look at a guy like Dominic Reyes, he's more of a a more technical, like textbook style of simplified striker. He only does a few things, but the things that he does are set up so well that they seem to work for him. I mean, it's basically a lead uppercut, a straight left hand, a check right hook, a left body kick, and sometimes a left high kick. That's basically the entire game of Dominic Reyes in a nutshell. He does have a step back, fade back left hand where he uh, he steps back to his fades off to his rear side to get that little angle to avoid the power right hand if the opponent's in orthodox, and then he'll come over the top and land that fade back, step back, angle off, straight left hand. Um, against a guy like Prohaska, though, he's only got one fight in the UFC, but he's 27-3 and overall in his professional mixed martial arts career, fighting in rise and uh, having wins over King Mo Lawal. He did get finished by him originally, but he had some good wins over, you know, Muhammad Lawal. He's got a win over the current Bellator heavyweight champion, I believe, uh, Vadim Nemkov, he finished, or I believe he finished him, and uh, he, he has that win. He outgrappled him, really, really solid grappling in top position, um, was able to get the back and work from the, with the hooks in and get the back and then go to a body triangle and work from the top. He went for some submissions, went for an arm bar. Um, that was one of the few fights we actually saw Yuri Prohaska's grappling in. Again, he's only had one fight in the UFC against Volkan Uzdemir. He won that fight via a second round knockout, but we did get to see a lot of good things from him. So that's a fight I'm really looking forward to explaining for you guys. Um, aside from that, I mean, you got Marab Devalishvili versus Cody the Spartan Stamen. That's a great fight for the bantamweight division against top 15 ranked guys trying to crack into that top 10. You've got a middleweight fight between the 15 ranked Sean Strickland, who's coming into this fight with a two fight win streak in the UFC going up against Christoph Jotko who has uh, had some good wins, had some fights he should have won and lost, like the fight against Uriah Hall. Um, got finished by Brad Tavares, but he's had a decent career. I mean, 22-4 and four overall compared to 22-3-1 for Sean Strickland. You got Dustin Jacoby versus Iwan Kutelaba. That's a great fight as well. It's something that I wasn't really looking forward to before I did a deep dive, you know, breakdown and watch some footage for this fight. But Jacoby's a really good kickboxer coming out of glory kickboxing, going back into MMA and... Uh, you know, he was in MMA. He took a brief hiatus and went to kickboxing and then went made his transition back to mixed martial arts. Going up against Iwan Kutelaba, who's coming off two, technically two TKO losses, the only TKO KOs of his career. The last one against Magomed Ankalaev at UFC 254, I believe, was a was definitely a definitive TKO. You know, it, it was definitely a TKO, you know, he got dropped coming in after he switched stances. He got caught with a right hook into a left hook, dropped, and then finished with some ground and pound. In the first fight, he faked like he was hurt, tried to play the rope-a-dope, and the ref stopped the fight because he thought he was out. It was a terrible stoppage. But nonetheless, you know, he he has some good wins. I believe he has a win over Jared Cannonier. But 
you know, he's got a little bit to prove in this fight after getting flatlined in his last performance. And then obviously, I mean, you got Giga Chikadze versus Cub Swanson, which is a phenomenal fight on the card between top 15 ranked featherweight featherweight contenders. I mean, a big step up for Giga Chikadze and a fight against a newcomer and a prospect in the division for the, you know, veteran of, of mixed martial arts, the former WEC and UFC contender uh, killer Cub Swanson coming off a victory, actually two back-to-back victories, one over Crone Gracie via decision, and then a knockout victory over Daniel Pineda. I believe it was at the end of the first round or in the second round. He landed a, he shoulder rolled on the left side, landed a right uppercut, and then came over the top with an overhand right and uh, dropped him. He actually, he faded back. He like shoulder rolled through the uppercut, through the jab to keep Pineda's head in position. And then as he came back, he threw the right hand and knocked him out. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a great fight. It's a it's a big step up for Chikadze. I think he's ready for it, and it's a chance for Cub Swanson to say like, "Hey, nobody's gonna take me out of this division. I'm not done yet. I'm trying to go for a three fight win streak." So it's a great fight. And then, like I said, obviously Reyes versus Prohaska, which is definitely your best fight of the night. Um, I think we should start off with UFC 261, right? I mean, that's definitely definitely the the area we want to start off with because it was probably one of the best fight cards of all time and probably the best main card of all time. That's, that's debatable. Cause I think UFC 217 was a little bit better in my opinion, but I do think that this in terms of finishes and excitement was probably your best card ever for a pay-per-view. And, uh, I guess we could start, I didn't watch a lot of the prelims. So hold on. I can't give you like a full breakdown of the prelims, but I mean, Randy Brown got a first-round submission over Alex Oliveira. He was able to find a way to take the back after he hurt him on the feet and sink in like a one-arm rear-naked choke and get a submission finish. That's a big, big win for Randy Brown um, against a veteran of the sport and a veteran in that division in Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And, uh, yeah, big win for Randy Brown. And uh, I can't wait to see what's next for him, you know, to get a rear-naked choke and finish Alex Oliveira in the first round is a big, big statement. So it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for Randy Brown. Uh, when you Another fight on the prelims that was great. It was one of the few picks I got wrong on the card was uh, Brendan Allen submitting Carl Roberson in the first round via a heel hook. And uh, this was a fight where I thought that Roberson's striking and his, obviously his, his very well-timed left kick, his check right hook, you know, the left body kicks, the left high kicks, and just his overall range management and distance control was going to be able to keep Allen at range and stop him from being able to get in close and get takedowns and then work his superior wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, and Roberson has good defensive wrestling um, for coming for being a very well-seasoned kickboxer, fighting in glory before, I believe, and just a really, really solid striker on the feet. Um, I've, his takedown defense is good, but I knew if it was going to get to the ground at some point, you don't want to stay there with a guy who says good with the jiu-jitsu game as Brendan Allen and uh, Roberson was doing well on the feet. He landed some good combinations. It looked like he was probably going to get the finish or, you know, it was looking very good for him. Um, they ended up in a ground, a ground position. They were on the ground. I'm getting tongue tied. They ended up in a position on the ground where Carl Roberson went for a toe hold, I believe. And then Brendan Allen countered his leg lock with his own leg lock and went for a heel hook and was able to get the submission against Roberson. Um, it was a pretty brutal heel hook, and you heard Roberson scream out. And there was five seconds left in the first round. If he was able to get out of that first round, 
we might have seen a completely different fight, and maybe Roberson was going to be able to get the better of him on the feet the longer the fight went. However, that's not what happened. You know, this is the fight game. You got to protect yourself at all times. You got to be aware of your opponent's strengths and your weaknesses. And Roberson just made a mistake. He went for a submission against the you know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ace, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, I believe, who's a phenomenal grappler. And uh, that's an area you don't want to be in. You don't want to go into the strengths of your opponent unless you have them severely hurt or you know that you're better than, than them in that area. And Roberson just made a mistake. He went for a leg lock against a guy who's, like we said, very, very good at the jiu-jitsu game. And uh, he got countered with uh, a leg lock from Brendan Allen, the heel hook, and got submitted. And uh, I think it was a pretty – I'm sure Carl Roberson got injured. He might have had a bad knee injury. Um, we're not 100% sure on that. But – Brendan Allen gets the win coming back after losing against uh, Sean Strickland in the fight before that, who also competes on this card, and we'll definitely get to their fights pretty soon. So that's it for the prelims, and we'll move to the main card, which was phenomenal. Um, just, just without a doubt, an amazing main card. We'll start off in the light heavyweight division, and, and by the way, I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but my picks for this main card were flawless. I went 5-0. and Every single pick was on the money. Um, there were a couple picks that I think a lot of people didn't believe in, including this first fight we're about to talk about between Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute, and then the co-main event for the Women's Strawweight Championship between Zhang Wei Li and Thug Rose Namajunas. Those were two picks that I think a lot of people disagreed with me on, but uh, we came through and showed why we're one of the most analytical MMA podcasts in the world, and uh, we're hoping to become one of the best MMA podcasts in the world, but that's obviously all up to you guys who listen to this podcast every week. Um, this is a great fight. Uh, we're going to start off in the with the first fight on the main card, obviously, between Anthony Lionheart Smith against the rising up-and-coming Jimmy Crute, who came into this fight with a record of 12 victories and one loss. Um, Anthony Smith came in with 35 victories, 15 and 16 defeats, or 34 victories and 16 defeats, um, coming off a win over Devin Clark via first round triangle choke. And uh, this was a fight I was a little bit worried about, but I thought that if he stuck behind the jab and stuck to his low kicks um, and, and eventually would try to, you know, I, I basically said in the in the pre-fight breakdown that he had to stick to a fight similar to the Glover Teixeira fight and then using grappling like he did in the Vulcan Uzdemir fight. I believe that's what I said. I know he had to stick to fighting behind a jab, fighting behind long combinations, sharp combos, the one, two, the two, three, the two, one, one, two, you know, and the, and adding the low kicks in there. And that's what he did. You know, Jimmy Crute did get him down at the end of the first round and got the takedown and landed some brutal ground and pound, but Smith was able to get back up. But the damage was already done, and they stopped it. Dr. Stoppage in the beginning of the second round, the jabs, the left hook, the low kick. The low kicks of Anthony Smith really, really put a stamp on this fight. And uh, he had that drop foot and uh, brutal, brutal low kicks. It was, it was calf kicks. You know, he kicked right under the knee or right on the knee and uh, obviously hit that nerve or uh, just hit a nerve in the leg and caused that leg to fall asleep, caused that foot to fall asleep, and it was constantly just twisting the ankle and causing a very brutal um, injury. And even if the fight was to continue into the second round, which Jimmy Crute did want, you got to give Jimmy Crute the respect that he deserves. He did want to continue. You know, he did want to push forward and continue into that second round to show why he belongs here. But, you know, it, it just wasn't meant to be. And the longer the fight went, it was going to be bad for Jimmy Crute because of the low kicks and the jab. The jab of Anthony Smith 
was popping Jimmy Crute every time he tried to step into range. Every time he tried to step in, he was getting popped with that long jab. Just pop, pop, pop. And you could see Jimmy Crute's eye, that right eye, was, you know, getting pieced up. He, he was bruised up. He was bloodied. And uh, eventually chopping, adding the jab with the low kick when he was at range. Jab, low kick at range. And, um, you know, that's basically the story of the fight. And I can look up some highlights briefly and try to explain some of the exchanges. But that was basically the story of the fight between the two. So let's see what we got. I mean, it was that right low kick right on the knee. And you could see the minute Jimmy Crute put that lead foot down, um, he fell, fell off balance. The brutal low kicks and calf kicks of Anthony Smith, I figured that was going to be a problem, the jab and the low kicks. You know, going up against a veteran of Anthony Smith who's had over 50 fights, you know, you got you to gotta realize that Jimmy Crute only had 13 fights. He was a prospect. He was an up-and-comer. But a lot of people tend to do this where they think that just because a guy is so good and looks so impressive – Now that a guy looks so impressive and, uh, you know, on his way up and he had some knockouts over Modestus Bukowskis, he had a good submission victory over somebody else. I can't, his name escapes me, but he got a good Kimura submission. Um, he lost to Misha Serkinov um, via submission, which was part of the reason I was going against him here because that was somebody who he fought who was kind of an established contender at 100 and, or at 205 pounds. And I think that Anthony Smith was just too experienced for him. And the jab and the low kicks were just piecing him up. Every time that jab landed, boom, the one-two down the middle from Anthony Smith. The long-range strikes where he was just poking and prodding and stabbing him and, and, and fencing and lancing him with the jab to set up the outside low kick caused that foot injury. And, uh, yeah, Anthony Smith now two fights in a row, two wins in a row for Lionheart. And uh, we'll look to see what's next for him. I hope he gets a fight. Obviously, someone in the top five, top seven, um, if I'm going to – be quite honest, I think that uh, a good fight for him would maybe be, uh, what's the next fight on, let's see, is there a good light heavyweight fight on 262? No, uh, there. I swear there's a light heavyweight fight coming up real soon that uh, he should get the winner of, but oh, you know what? He could fight uh, Magomed Ankliyev. I think Ankliyev might have some a fight coming up. He may not, but I think Magomed Ankliyev is a good fight for Anthony Smith to get next. For Jimmy Crute, I'm not sure. Um, I didn't really do a ton, ton of research for that, but, you know, it is what it is. All right, up next we'll go to the next fight, which was Chris Weidman going up against uh, Uriah Hall. This fight was tough. Um you know, I don't want to call it karma because it's not technically karma, but, you know, almost 10 years since he caused that injury to Anderson Silva where he checked the low kick and Anderson Silva's shin snapped, you know, the foot snapped off the shin. He broke the tibia or fibia or one of them. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a brutal injury for Anderson Silva and he did recover and he did win his fight coming back after that against Nick Diaz. But it was an injury that, you know, can change a career and can end a career. And against Uriah Hall, that's exactly what happened. He tried to step off. He tried to, you know, set it up jab, jab to the outside low kick. And Uriah Hall just turned his knee out and braced on that shin. His foot went right off the knee, snapped the foot clean off, snapped the, the shin and the foot clean in half. 
And uh, he stepped back to put his foot down and just, that was the end of the fight. 17 seconds into the first round, Uriah Hall wins via technical TKO, I'll call it, because he did block the kick. He braced for the kick, caused the damage to Weidman's leg. That only happened because he blocked the kick and braced for it. When you brace for a low kick, you can either, one, pick the leg up, turn the knee out, and turn the shin out. And then you usually put your knee to the elbow and then extend the far arm. You know, just pick the shin up and turn it out and... uh, point your toes up to the ceiling so it braces your shin and makes it harder, which can check the low kick off the knee. When it comes to the calf kicks, it's kind of harder to pick your leg up and check it. So you want to just turn your shin out and then you push down, you know, you brace on your leg. It it hardens up your shin and your knee and it slaps right off the kneecap. And you know, that's what happened. He braced for it, turned into it, boom, snapped the leg clean in half. Uriah Hall for the first time in his career is on a four fight win streak. Um, beating the former champion who obviously held a win over him before, you know, earlier in their careers back on the amateur circuit, but he does have that win back now over Weidman. And, you know, it's, it's you know, unfortunate how the fight ended, but he did get the win and he did get a finish. And if he didn't block that kick, the TKO wouldn't happen. So it is due to Uriah Hall's defense of that low kick. So you can't say it was a fluky win. Um, yeah. So, it sucks for Chris Weidman, man. He's going to be out for a long time. It takes a while to recover. He had surgery, successful surgery, but man, he's not going to be back for at least a year. I think Weidman should just hang it up. I know that's a terrible way to go out, but you've already been knocked out multiple times in your career. You know, got knocked out by uh, Jacques de Souza, got knocked out by Yoel Romero, got knocked out by Dominic Reyes, you know, had a win over Omari Akhmadov in, his, in the previous fight before this. Had a good fight against Jacare, but then obviously got knocked out due to the pressure. But he's been knocked out so many times. Yes, he's a former champion. Yes, he's a great fighter, but I think it's time to hang it up. You don't want to wait that much longer, and he's going to be out for a long time due to this injury. Uh, maybe one more fight against Luke Rockhold when he decides to come back. But other than that, I think he should just hang it up. It's It's time to... To call it a career for the All-American, it sucks because I love Chris Weidman. I've always been a huge fan of his, but it's just I don't see anything for Weidman at this point. He tried to go up to light heavyweight. That didn't work out well. He got knocked out by the man in the main event, Dominic Reyes, and yeah, I just don't see anything going out going well for him. So Uriah Hall next, he could get, um, I don't know, he's on a big win streak. He should get a top contender. I'm not sure exactly who he could get. We'll probably talk about recent, you know, future matchups on the next podcast. But yeah, I mean, big win for Uriah Hall. Up next, a fight for the Women's Flyweight Championship between Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko defending her title against Jessica Andraj, the former strawweight champion who we all thought would give Valentina her toughest and most dangerous fight. And she made it look easy and finished it quicker than almost any of her other fights and made it look flawless. I mean, the grappling, we thought that Andrade was going to have the strength advantage and be able to grapple and lift her in the high crotch positions and work for takedowns and work off the brakes when they get in clinches and land some power shots. And Valentina was like, oh, you think that Andrade is going to be able to wrestle me and take me down? Well, I'll show you and I'll out grapple her. I'll get her into the crucifix position. I'll land vicious elbows and punches and knees or elbows and punches and I'll stop the fight. And that's what she did. Got her in that crucifix position, which is one of Valentina's best positions on the ground. That's where you put the one arm in between your legs and hold the one arm with an overhook with the with your own arm and then usually put your hand on your own head 
or put your hand to your chest and you hold them there in a T-like position and you tee off on their head with punches and elbows and hold them down with either the knee across the bicep or obviously locking your legs together and holding them in that position. That's a position that Valentina has done so well in. Um, she got some good takedowns. Uh, Chef, or, uh, Andrade did go for the lift early in the fight, and Valentina's legs, her feet didn't even come off the ground. She was able to just brace for it, sink her hips down, and not be able to get, and not let Andrade lift her up, And which shows just how strong she is, how technical she is. She got the takedowns against Andrade with the trips, and then obviously got into that crucifix position and got the second round TKO uh, for the bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. There's really no fights left for her in this division. I mean, we thought Andrade was going to be one of her toughest fights, and she made it look easy. So it's going to be interesting to see what's next for Valentina. I really only think the the only thing I think could, could be next for her is obviously a third fight with Amanda Nunes. There's really nobody else for Nunes to fight. Obviously, she's got a fight coming up against Juliana Pena in June, I believe. So if she gets past Pena... Um, if she gets past Pena, then I would say Shevchenko versus Nunes 3. Uh, if that's not going to happen, I know this is a stretch and uh, they train together, but I think Thug Rose Namajunas versus Valentina Shevchenko, champ versus champ at 125 pounds. Um, I do think Valentina wins that fight. I do think that the technical striking and the footwork of Rose can give Shevchenko some problems with the fakes and feints. But I do think Valentina wins that fight. That's a fight I would love to see. I don't think it's going to happen, though, because like we said, they do train together. But um, it should be interesting. And that's really all I see left for Valentina at this point. You can either stay at 125 and just clear out your division like you're already doing. Or, you know, move up and fight Amanda Nunes for a third time. Or you can uh, see if Thug Rose will move up to 125. But they're training partners. I don't really expect that to happen. All right, now we get to the co-main event of the evening, which was uh, my most look forward to fight on the card. Weili Zhang defending, or Zhang Weili defending her strawweight championship against Thug Rose Nambiunis. And all I got to say is, I told you so. I told you so. Now, I didn't pick her to get a TKO. I believe I picked Rose to get the win via decision. I thought it was going to be a long, drawn-out fight. That's not what happened. But Thug Rose is so technical, and I told you, I told everyone that the fakes and feints and the footwork and the false starts of Rose was going to freeze up Zhang and it was going to leave her to be open on the center line for punches or kicks. And I've said in the pre-fight breakdown, if any kick is going to land for Rose Namajunas, it was going to be the lead left high kick. The reason why is when you watch the um, the Joanna and Jacek and Zhang Weili fight, the lead left high kick is what caused... Um, is what caused Joanna to hurt Zhang Weili because she doesn't block high with her hands on kicks. She tends to try to pull away. Either if she thinks it's going to the body, she'll kind of, you know, move her hips back and forth and then pull her hips back and drag that lead leg back to avoid either an inside low kick or an outside low kick or avoid a kick to the body. But against uh, Joanna, she she the one the one time she got hurt was with a lead left high kick towards the close of the round and she leaned right into it and I said that if it was going to be kicks that caused Nama Yunus to have success in this fight it would be the lead left high kick we saw her use a left high kick against uh, Michelle Watterson she dropped her and eventually jumped to her back and got the submission attempts 
So we do see Rose land some kicks, and usually her most deadly kick is that lead left high kick. I, I called it. I didn't say it was going to be a knockout, obviously, but that's what happened. You know, Zhang Wei Li and Rose. Here, hold on. I can pull up the fight. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, guys. I can pull up the highlights, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I don't think. It was just a lot of fakes and feints. And, you know, Wei Li was trying to catch the jab. And she was trying to counter shots with the uh, inside low kick, which is something we knew Zhang Wei Li was going to do. She liked to fade off. And then as you step forward to land that right, right hand, she'll just step over to her left shuffle her hips in with a pendulum step and land that inside left low kick, which is going to drag the opponent into the power right hand. And that's exactly what she tried to do in this fight. You know, she, she threw those inside low kicks and tried to uh, drag Rose towards the right hand. She would fake with the right hand, fake the straight and then go with that inside left low kick, fake the straight and go with an inside left low kick. But the movement of Rose, you know, the full starts, the fake hip bumps, you know, bumping in and going back, faking, throwing the jab, constantly moving left and right, not giving Wei Li a chance to pick up on your timing and your range, and then trying to go with that inside low kick. And then Wei Li tried to counter with a one-two lead left body kick, Rose backed up and then circled away from the body kick. So the range management, the distance, and the and the control of Rose is really what caused problems for Wei Li. Um, she knew that Wei Li liked to pull her lead leg back to avoid the low kicks of Rose. She'll pull it back and she'll sink her hips back, kind of like a Muay Thai kickboxer. Pull your pull your lead leg back, push your hips back, and then you kind of go back into your stance. And she exploited that. She faked and faked a lead inside low kick, and she saw that Wei Li kind of went to check it or pull her leg back a little bit, and then she faked the low kick again. Wei Li pulled her lead leg back. And pushed her hip, pulled her hips back, and leaned forward with her head. When you pull your hips back and you try to block a body kick or pull away from a kick or be evasive and pull away from a lead, a kick to your lead leg, you're leaning your head forward. So if that kick you think it's going low and it comes up to your head, you're going to be completely open for it because you're not blocking. You're putting your hands out in front of you and you're pulling, you're pulling your hips back. And when you pull your hips back and put your hands out in front of you, you're leaning into a potential strike to the head. And that's what happened. She was using a lot of angles, a lot of footwork. She faked with uh, lifted her lead leg, making Zhang think that it was going to be a low kick or a body kick. And then she faked it like a body kick again and snuck it up to the head, landed that lead left kick, dropped Zhang Wei Li early in the fight, jumped on her and got the TKO in the first round. Thug Rose Namajunas is now your new two-time strawweight, women's strawweight world champion. The only woman in the UFC to ever win a title in her division twice. Huge win for uh, Rose Namajunas. I'm so happy because as you know, Thug Rose is my favorite women's fighter of all time. There, there's no close second. It's all Thug Rose. Thug Rose till the day I die. You know, and it's all day with that, baby. It's all day with that. <laughs> um, a little shout out to Pat Berry there with the fight against Jessica Andrade in the second fight. But I knew Rose was too technical for Wei Li. Wei Li is good. She's powerful. She's She is technical in her own right, but she doesn't move nearly enough. She doesn't have nearly enough fakes and feints. She doesn't move her feet well enough to deal with a striker who's as, who's as advanced 
at the movement, the range management, the feints, the fakes, and setting up finishing shots with fakes of shots that they know you're going to defend against. And uh, yeah, Thug Rose, definitely my most excited fight of the night, or my most uh, the fight I was looking forward to the most, I should say. And uh, yeah, Thug Rose comes through in a big way. Um, up next, we've got the main event, obviously. Uh, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Gamebred Masvidal 2. And uh, man, I don't remember my exact prediction, but I think I picked like a third or fourth round TKO for Usman. I thought he was going to drop him on the feet, jump on him, and get a TKO. And uh, I posted that on Twitter, and somebody responded and said, you're out of your mind or you're on one if you think that Usman's going to knock out Gamebred. And although my prediction wasn't completely correct, <laughs> that person's eating their words because I knew that Masvidal was not going to respect the hands of Usman. He wasn't going to respect the striking because he knew or he thought that he was so much more advanced than Kamaru on the feet that he thought he was so much better at setting traps in such a, such a more polished striker than Kamaru. And after that Gilbert Burns fight, that jab of Usman and the right hand, we knew that was going to be a problem. We knew it. And we knew that if he switched to Southpaw, he would land that lead right jab and, uh, you know, go for shots like that. And man, Trevor Whitman's a wizard and people weren't giving him credit. I know a lot of people picked Usman, but nobody really thought he was going to finish Masvidal the way that he did. I'm confident in saying I think I was one of the only people to pick Usman winning that fight via knockout or a TKO. Although I didn't get the round right, man, he was trying to counter the jab of Usman with that check left hook, and you could just see Usman, you know, finding the range, finding the range. He faked, uh, he faked the jab, I believe, and then he went with a lead long left hook to drag down the defending hand and then came through with the straight right, dropped Masvidal, jumped on him with the TKO in the second round, I believe. All right, as we were saying, with the Usman versus Masvidal fight, um, we saw that Masvidal was constantly trying to land that check left hook over the jab of Usman. And I believe it was over the jab or over the right hand, he would try to parry it, pull away, parry with the backhand, pull away, and land the check left hook over the top because when you lean in with a jab, um, you know, I, I actually, I think it's the right hand. Yeah, because you would go over the right hand if it was uh, same side fighters or same stance fighters. So Usman versus I'm going to get the highlights up and then I'll, I'll obviously walk you guys through what I am talking about if I think... Is this, this isn't the highlights? Uh, no, that's not the highlights. I need the actual fight highlights. Hold on. Uh, here we go. This might be them right here. So low kicks were doing a decent job for Masvidal um, when when Kamara was in southpaw. He pulled back on one of them, and then he countered with a hook cross, which is actually what led to the finish 
for Usman, but it was in uh, orthodox stance. This was in southpaw. So he countered the left low kick when Masvidal was in southpaw with a hook cross, which is actually what was the finishing combinations. Then he faked, then he threw the jab, then faked the level change. He was just kind of getting Masvidal to be uncomfortable. But the problem is Masvidal was just too cocky. He didn't believe in the striking of Usman at all. And that's a huge problem because, like we said, working with a guy like Trevor Whitman, you saw what he did for Justin Gaethje and his his improved striking and his footwork and his defense. And Usman always had a good jab. We didn't see it too much, but, you know, you heard Whitman say, you're a world champion because of your jab. And, you know, you look at the fight here, and that jab right hand was the money shot. In, in Southpaw, um, when Usman would throw the straight left hand, Masvidal countered with a check right hook, but he primarily fights out of orthodox. But uh, he did try some southpaw work in this fight. And he went for a flying knee. Uh, Usman blocked and then went into a body lock and did the outside trip. He tripped out the lead left leg with his lead right leg, dragged him backwards, turned the corner, and got the takedown. Um, Masvidal did a good job at trying to land some elbows and getting back up to his feet. Um, Usman landed a you know, straight left hand, a pot shot down the middle and landed a good right jab. That jab was piecing up Masvidal from Southpaw when he would throw that inside low kick. He would throw the kick and then Usman would counter it with a right jab right down the middle. And, uh, you know, he tried to land that bum rush combination, the stance switch overhand. And then he did land a flying knee, which partially stumbled Kamaru, but it wasn't enough to actually cause a big, you know, knockout. And, he was landing the jab, landing the jab a lot. And the hook cross from Southpaw is what caused the knockout. Um, he landed it earlier in the fight, like we said. He countered the inside low kick, I believe, with a hook cross. And here he faked, landed the hook, and he knew that Masvidal was going to try to counter his hook with his own check hook or counter his jab with his own check right hook or left hook, depending on the stance. He knew that that was Masvidal's weapon. He would try to counter the straight shots of Usman with the check hook to get off on an angle. So what Usman did, here we're going to slow it down to 0.5 speed, is he threw the jab, he, or he faked the jab and threw it like a long right hook, and that was going to block the power left hand of Masvidal and Southpaw. So using that gets him to parry down on the right jab or lead hook, the check hook. It gets him to parry down on the right hook of Usman, but then he leans right in and goes for the check hook over the top. But the straight punches beat the looping punches. So when he threw that check hook to try to counter the straight left of Usman, he actually leaned right into it because the straight punches beat the looping punches. He snuck it in, landed that left hand, dropped Masvidal and got the finish. So now a second round knockout over Masvidal. So Masvidal has no chance at fighting in that, you know, title picture again, as long as Usman is the champion. Um, it's a big loss. Um, Masvidal's never been knocked out before in his career. So that's another feather in the cap of Kamaru Usman to be able to be the first man to ever knock out Jorge Masvidal in 50 fights. So big, big win for Usman. And it's going to be interesting to see what's next for him. Um, I would say if Leon Edwards gets past Nate Diaz at 262, then you would give Usman um, Leon Edwards. 
If not, and they want to book Usman versus Covington too, I'd love to see it because that first fight was amazing. But due to the striking improvements that that uh, Usman has made, even with the wrestling of Covington, which I think can cause Usman some trouble, even though he has 100% takedown defense, he's never fought a wrestler who was the caliber of Colby Covington. Um, I do think that Usman knocks out Covington again in a rematch. So I think the best options are either Vicente Luque or Leon Edwards. I would, I would rank Edwards above uh, Luque because I think Ed, or Edwards is going to knock out Nate Diaz and make it look pretty easy, to be honest. I've said for a long time I thought that Leon Edwards was the best at 170 pounds. Um, I, I've said it for a long time, and I think you're going to see that with this Nate Diaz fight. I think he then goes into a fight with Kamaru Usman. Um, if Covington doesn't get the Usman fight, I think – we could see a Covington versus Luke fight, possibly. Um, if Jeff Neal beats Neil Magny coming up in about a week, two weeks, I do think we could see um, Neil versus Luke. That's a possible matchup. That's a matchup I think is phenomenal. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's my recap for UFC 262. And now let's get to the preview and predictions for this weekend's uh, tomorrow night's UFC fight night. Dominic Reyes versus Jury Prohaska. I already did a brief breakdown at the beginning of this podcast episode. We are now going to move into the main card predictions. No prelims. We're going right into the main card. Um, up first in the bantamweight division, you got a battle between top 15 ranked contenders trying to vault their way into top 10 at 135 pounds. You got the number 12 ranked training along the quote unquote legitimate 135-pound bantamweight champion, Aljamain Sterling. You've got the number 12-ranked Marab the Machine, Devalishvili, who comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories and four defeats, going up against the number 13-ranked Cody the Spartan Stamen, coming into this fight with a record of 19 victories, three defeats, and one no contest. Um, honestly, I think this is a fight where Marab's style shines. I don't necessarily see a path to victory for Stamen. I know Stamen's a good wrestler. I know he's good at, you know, defending takedowns with that switch position and getting his own takedowns off takedown attempts of the opponent. You know, he can the opponent can shoot a double leg, he can land the switch, and then eventually shoot, turn back into the opponent and land a single leg or a double up against the cage. He's good in the scrambles, but against a guy like Marab, who is so advanced with the wrestling and probably one of the best wrestlers at 135 pounds, I think that his style is just going to give Stamen a lot of trouble. Um, one one area you saw Stamen have a little bit of trouble with in the fight against Jimmy Rivera was getting pushed up against the cage in the clinch and kind of held in a certain position. If you're getting pushed up against the cage with a guy like Jimmy Rivera, I think Marab Devalishvili can have his way with you in the clinch exchanges and the wrestling takedown and the takedown entries and chaining takedown attempts together. You know, Marab is so good at going from single leg to double leg, you know, he likes to uh, kick at your calves and, and like your inside and outside of your legs to get you off balance just to set up either a, a judo toss or set up a single leg into a double leg or a double into a single into a body lock. He'll kick your leg out, elevate you, and drag you back down and pull you back and then pick you up, elevate you, kick your leg out. And he just goes takedown after takedown after takedown. And he pushes the pace on the feet as well. Um, he doesn't get tired. His cardio is second to none. You know, he's always moving forward, moving his head, faking with his hands, faking with his legs. He'll jump and fake the knee just to one, two and land and then jump in 
or uh, enter into a takedown entry. He'll fake the punch and then go in with a single leg to a double leg, get the body lock, dump you. You know, it's just takedown attempt after takedown attempt after takedown attempt. And he's really good defensively on the feet. That's something I think a lot of people don't realize. For example, against John Dotson, every time Dotson would try to angle off and get that outside foot to set up his straight left hand, Marab would counter circle his angle attempt. So he would counter angle and move towards um, towards Dotson. So he would angle with the angle. That means that that outside foot and that angle that Dotson just got is irrelevant because now you're back to square one. So if an, if you get that outside foot and the opponent stands in the same position, then you can land the, the power shot on the opposite stance opponent. If they go for the outside foot, but you counter circle and you, you circle off to the opposite side, if they circle and then you circle back the opposite way, you're meeting them head on and you're count, you're cutting off their angle attempt and you're back face to face. And that's something that Marab is very good at. I think that there are, there is a way that Stamen can win this fight, but it's really only one way. And it's just point fighting. You're going to have to stick behind the jab, land that lead high kick with the left, with the left leg. He's very good with the lead left high kick, good with the lead left body kick, and then using it to enter in on takedown attempts. He's got good takedown defense, but I don't think it's any match for Marab Devalishvili. Um, I think on the feet, the fakes and feints are going to make Stamen a little bit, um, either make him overzealous and he's going to overcommit on punches and just try to throw volume out there to keep Marab off of him. But then the volume and the aggressiveness is going to set up the takedown attempts and the takedown entries and the clinch entries for um, Marab against Stamen. And I think he's going to get taken down a lot in this fight. Or... You know, he's going to be too cautious because of the fakes and feints. And then Marab's just going to be able to move, poke it, poke and prod at him, push him up against the cage in the over-under position, get the body lock, work for singles, work for double legs, work for trips, you know, get in the over-under position, knee the thighs, knee the back of the thighs, pull the opponent back, trip out the rear leg or the lead leg, and drag him to the ground. I think we're going to see a wrestling clinic from Marab Devalishvili here. Um, you look at the fight against Casey Kenny, and he was able to take Kenny down, I believe, 12 times in their fight. And Casey Kenny's not an easy guy to take down. So doing that against Casey Kenny is very impressive. And I think Marab's pace, his cardio, he doesn't get tired. I think it's just going to wear on Stamen. I think it's going to be an easy cruise to a decision and a dominant victory for Marab the Machine Devalishvili. I'm going with Marab Devalishvili to defeat Cody Stamen via a 30-26 unanimous decision. Um, all right, up next on the main card is a fight in the Walter or, uh, middleweight division. You've got the number 15 ranked Sean Tarzan Strickland, who uh, I know is Strickland, but when they pronounce, they usually pronounce it like that. Um, he's 22 and three, 22, three and one overall in his professional mixed martial arts career, ranked 15th in the division, going up against Christoph Jatko, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of 22 victories and four defeats. Um, Sean Strickland was a guy who never really was on my radar. He's been out of the UFC for a long time, um, and then he came back and had a good fight against uh, Jack Marshman. He looked very good in that fight. His boxing, the one-two, the check hook, you know, his movement. He's really good at keeping that rear hand up, and then he uses a Philly shell shoulder roll type of defense to avoid a lot of the wide punches of the opponent. He'll pull away from shots, and they'll throw the jab, pull away, you know, counter or uh, roll the shot off the shoulder, come back with a 2-3, roll off the shoulder, check hook, right hand. He's very good with the 3-2. The hook cross is probably one of his best combinations that he uses, and he's very good with the jab in the right hand. 
Um, I picked him to win against Brendan Allen. I thought he was going to get the finish. A lot of people picked against me in that fight. A lot of people picked against me because they thought Brendan Allen was the next, the, you know, the next big thing. He's so good on the ground, but his striking on the feet and his defense was nowhere near good enough to deal with the striking and the, the counter ability of Sean Strickland. And you saw it in the fight. And I believe he got a second round knockout over Brendan Allen. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, second round knockout. Um, he landed the one-two. The one-two was just piecing him up. He landed a lot on Jack Marshman too. Like I said, the jab cross, the one-two, or the three-two hook cross. The hook drags you into the right hand. That's going to be a problem for a guy like Christoph Jaco. Now Jaco's fought a lot of good guys. He uh, he got knocked out against um, Brad Tavares. He got knocked out against Uriah Hall, but he had some good wins. Let's see. I will pull it up. Pull up. He's, his overall record is good. He's 22 and 4. He in his last fight he got a decision victory over Eric Anders. Um, prior to that, he defeated Mark Andre Berriot via decision. He defeated Al Alan Amadovsky via decision. So he's on a three-fight win streak, I believe. And then before that, he got knocked out by Brad Tavares in the third round. Then he got knocked out by Uriah Hall in the second round and lost via decision to David Branch. So anytime he gets like that top level, mid-tier level, top 10 guy, he tends to lose. Um, against Uriah Hall, I believe he was in the top 10 at this current point. He lost. He was doing well. He hurt Uriah Hall, and then he obviously just got caught with that one-two down the middle. The overhand right landed on the jaw and uh, knocked out Jotko. He got knocked out by Brad Tavares, who's not technically known as a knockout artist. He's more of a technical striker who will win a point fight. But he does possess some power, um, so I don't think that it's necessarily terrible to get knocked out by a guy like Brad Tavares. I think Tavares is very good technically and just a very good fighter overall, so there's really no shame in that loss. But, you know, he did get knocked out, so he we have seen him get knocked out before. Um, I think, obviously, he's coming in off of a three-fight win streak, so Jacques Coe's on, an, on the up and up right now, Strickland coming in on a two-fight win streak. But I believe overall in his career, let's see, he's on a much longer win streak than that. If I'm, I could be completely wrong, but let's see. Up his wins. Uh. Okay, no. Yeah, so it's a three-fight win streak. He beat Nordin Taleb, beat Jack Marshman, beat Brendan Allen. Um, his last fight before this Marshman fight, which was in was on Halloween 2020, was in uh, October of 2018. So he was gone for two years, came back. Now he's on a two-fight win streak, looking to make it three. Um, this is how I think the fight could go. I honestly think Strickland wins this fight all day. Uh, if Jotko uses those front kicks and uses some body kicks and uses those wide shots to push Sean Strickland up against the cage and work his knees to the thigh in the over-under position, put his head under the chin of Strickland, grind him out, look for takedowns, and uses grappling, a grappling-heavy you know, game plan or pushing Strickland up against the cage to work some grappling. I think that Jotko can win. 
The problem is I think that the striking and the uh, the defense and the boxing ability of Sean Strickland more than anything, the boxing ability of Strickland I think is going to cause Jotko a lot of problems, a lot of problems. And I think that I think Strickland gets the job done here. We always say straight punches beat looping punches. I think that 3-2 um, the hook cross against Jotko is going to be a problem. I think the jab is going to counter a lot of the wide looping punches that Jotko may use to set up his kicks or use those wide punches to cover distance to set up takedown attempts. Um, in the grappling, I do think that Strickland can get out grappled and Jotko can get a decision. But the 1-2, the 3-2, pulling back, you know, covering, boom, boom, 2-3, covering, jab, jab, hook, cross, hook, cross, jab, jab, cross, hook. The boxing ability and the ability to see shots coming and move with them and pull away from them and counter is going to be a big problem for Jotko. I think he leaves himself exposed, leaves his chin open, and eventually gets caught with that hook cross and then sets it up, uh, and then that eventually stuns him and sets up the 1-2 down the middle, and I think that jab cross puts Jotko out. Um, I could see it going to decision um, if Jotko is able to use some takedowns and get some grappling off on him. But I do think that Jotko gets finished here. I think he has been knocked out before. I think the boxing of Strickland is too sharp for a guy like Jotko. I think the 1-2 down the middle is way too sharp. So I'm going with Sean Strickland to get the victory over Christoph Jotko via a third-round TKO and go on a three-fight win streak or four-fight win streak, three-fight win streak in the UFC. Or no, four-fight win streak. But he was gone for two years if you're counting the first fight in the win streak. So my pick is Sean Strickland to defeat Christoph Jotko via a third-round TKO. All right, up next is a fight in the light heavyweight division between Iwan the Hulk Kutelaba, who comes into this fight with a record of 15 victories, six defeats, and one no contest, going up against Dustin the Hanyuk Jacoby, who holds a record of 14 victories and five defeats. Um, this is a tough fight. This is really, really tough. I didn't know much about Dustin Jacoby before I did my research for this fight. I didn't really know who he was. I didn't know he, you know, has gotten some finishes in his career. I didn't know he was a seasoned kickboxer. I really didn't. I knew Iwan Kotelaba. I believe I picked him to win that second fight against Magomed Ankalaev. I could be wrong because part of me wants to think that I picked um, Ankliev, but again, like I said, I could be off, but you know, either way he lost the first fight against Magomed Ankliev when he tried to do that rope-a-dope and use that to, to draw Ankliev in to land those wide punches and it caught, and it cost them. They stopped the fight. He wasn't out. So they rematched and then Ankliev just landed a bomb, a right hook from Southpaw into a left hook as, um, Kutelaba switch stances into southpaw to try to land his own switch stance right hook. He got countered right hook, left hook, dropped and finished via ground and pound in the first round. And, you know, I believe it was first round. Either way, vicious knockout. Um, the only two knockouts he's ever suffered in his career. Um, Kutelaba's good on the feet. He, he's He's good with keeping his hands up, moving forward, and trying to land the one-two down the middle. He's got a very good one-two, a very quick, snappy one-two, a good hook cross. You know, he's got the good straight punches, and that's something I do think can cause a lot of problems for a guy like Dustin Jacoby. For Jacoby, there's a there's a, a path to victory for him in this fight. He's very good with the jab. He's very good with the outside low kick. If Kutelaba comes forward in a boxing-heavy stance, you know, keeping his hands at his chin, 
kind of trying to move his head a little bit. He does have good head movement, and he can roll and move and slip out of the way of punches. Can uh, Kutelaba. Um, so if Jacoby wants to defeat that boxing-heavy style, he's going to want to chop the low kicks. But you got to watch out for getting countered down the middle. You know, the best counter to a low kick, whether it's inside or outside, is to either go with a hook over the top, depending on what stance you're in, um, a check hook, or a straight down the middle to counter the low kick. Usually a straight works better with an outside low kick than an inside kick. For inside kicks, you counter with a hook. For outside low kicks, you counter with a straight down the middle. And uh, I think that Kute Laba can do that because, like we said, he's got a good one too. But the jab, low kick, left hook, switch stance, right hook, you know, he's he's good at switching stances is Dustin Jacoby, but he's very good with those outside low kicks. Expect Jacoby to come in, land the jab, and try to land those low kicks. Fake the right hand to set up the the, the brief step forward to land the outside kick. You know, low kick, jab, fake the jab, outside low kick. Kind of a similar game plan to what we saw with Jimmy Crute. Um, and Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith's game plan with the jab, the one, two and the low kick. I think it's going to be a similar game plan for Dustin Jacoby in this fight. The problem is we've seen Jacoby get dropped and we've seen him get hurt. And it wasn't against a really powerful puncher. If you want to, if I do say so myself, you know, you look at his fight and it was against, I believe think of his name. Was it Maxim Grisham? Yeah, Maxim Grisham. He won the fight via decision, but he was able to get stunned, and he got hurt in that fight. Originally, he got dropped off a low kick. The guy countered with a jab. Grisham countered an outside low kick with a jab and stumbled him. That didn't cause... They said it was a knockdown. To me, that was really more of a knockoff balance, but later in the fight, as he got pushed up against the cage, he did get hit with a pretty powerful shot and got hurt, but he was able to come back move around, land those low kicks, land the jab, switch to southpaw, land the right hook and the right jab. You know, he's good. He does have some good movement, good lateral movement. Um, those low kicks are going to be the biggest problem. He's going to use that jab, fake the jab, pop the jab, low kick, fake the jab, pop the jab, low kick, jab, fake the right hand, throw the right hand, follow up with the outside low kick. That's going to be the biggest weapon for Jacoby against Kutelaba. The problem is I don't think it's going to be able to last for 15 minutes. This is a close fight. I could see either guy winning. The more I research I did, um, I think if Kute Lava relies on his wrestling a little bit in this fight, we don't see it too much from him, but he does have good wrestling and good counter takedown ability and can work from the top and uh, set up submissions and work from ground and pound. If he gets the takedowns, I think he can win. Um, on the feet, I think he catches Jacoby as he throws a low kick. I think later on, the later the fight goes, I think he finds a way to catch him and hurt him and uh, land a bomb on the feet. Probably the one-two down the middle or the hook cross. More than likely a hook two and uh, drops Jacoby, jumps on him and gets a TKO. It's a it's a tough fight to call because Kute is coming off a brutal knockout. So we don't really know where his head is going to be going into this fight. Will he be a little bit hesitant after he suffered his, you know, a brutal knockout like that? Or will he come in and be a little bit over-aggressive? Or will he come in and be just as aggressive as he needs to be to win this fight? We don't know, but I'm going with Iwan Kutelaba to get the victory, and I'm going with him to get the win via a, I want to say second round TKO. Um, it's either going to be first round or second round because he's either going to catch Jacoby cold and uh, counter a low kick and land the straight down the middle, or he's going to just counter him, land a good one too, the later the fight goes. I'm going to go with a first round knockout. I think he catches Jacoby in the middle of a combination, hits him on the chin, drops him, and gets a TKO victory. So my pick is Ewan the Hulk 
Kute Laba to defeat Justin Jacoby via a first-round knockout. All right, now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. You've got a battle between top 15 ranked featherweights, the number 14 ranked Giga Chikadze, who comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories and two defeats, going up against the number 15 ranked Killer Cub Swanson, longtime veteran, WEC and UFC veteran, um, coming into this fight with a record of 27 victories and 11 defeats. Now, overall, you've got a fighter with 38 fights compared to a fighter with 14 fights. Over double the experience for Killer Cub Swanson against much, much higher levels of competition. But you look at Giga Chikadze. He's a former kickboxer with a vast, you know, with vast experience in the kickboxing world before he moved over to uh, MMA. And I believe I can pull up his kickboxing record. On Wikipedia, let me see. I know it's in here somewhere. Uh, kickboxing record. So overall in kickboxing, he was, this says incomplete, but it's not giving me a, he's 12 and two in MMA kickboxing. It's not giving me a record, but he has, you know, some kickboxing experience. And you see that in the UFC. I believe he's a former glory kickboxer. Um, you see that in the UFC, man. He can he can move back and switch between southpaw and orthodox and, and move around and land a one-two. He's good from orthodox, but his best shot is that left kick to the liver on an orthodox opponent. If a fighter's in orthodox, he's going to switch back to southpaw and boom, land that left kick to the body. He's got a very, very good left body kick, a good left high kick. He can chain you know, kick attempts together, make you think he's going to the body and go to the head. Um, he's good with the one-two down the middle. Um, you know, he's just a good fighter at range. If you're staying at range against Giga Chikadze, then you're going to probably get picked apart on the feet with his movement, his angle changes, his fakes, you know, moving left and right briefly. Boom, body kick. One-two, boom, body kick. Angle change, you know, triangle step to get off on the angle. One-one-two, body kick high kick. You know, with Killer Cub Swanson, you get more of a artistic style of fighting for mixed martial arts. He's a little bit more crazy. He's got good movement, got really good boxing, a good one-two, a good jab. He likes to get his head off the center line, lower his level and land the jab, land the hook, land the one-two-three. Um, he's very good with the overhand right. He'll go jab to an overhand right and catch the opponent as their head's up in the air. And uh, their chin's not tucked. He did that to Charles Oliveira, I believe, and has done that to a couple other people in his career. I believe another guy he might have done that to was George Roop. Um, I think I'm getting the name wrong. Maybe it was George Sotaropoulos. One of those those guys, I believe, he caught over the top of the right hand, dropped him, and hurt him. He's got some wars in his career. I mean, a good fight against Shane Burgos, a Fight of the night and possibly fight of the year contender at UFC 206 against Duho Choi. That was just back and forth. The only way Swanson wins this fight is, is to get in close, you know, make it a brawl, get him up against the cage, get in like a, a single collar clinch or a double collar clinch and land the uppercut to the overhand right like he did against Daniel Pineda. He land uppercuts from the clinch, right hands, left hooks off the break. You have to make it a dirty fight. If you play at range and just try to play a point fighting kickboxing match, Chikadze's going to eat him up all day. He's going to land that left body kick. He's going to land the jab, land the front kicks to the body, land some high kicks, land some body kicks. Um, there is a way Cub Swanson can counter that. 
and it's with his wrestling. He's got very good jujitsu and jujitsu black belt, good wrestling, good scrambles on the ground. I think in the scrambles and takedown attempts, and he likes to uh, counter opponents' takedowns with the hip toss. He'll go overhook, kick out the opponent, throw him over the top, kick out with the back leg, and get the judo toss. And uh, that's usually to counter the opponent's momentum as they shoot a takedown. That is something I could see him using against Chikadze if he tries to get in close. But Chikadze's going to want to keep this at kicking range. You want to keep him away. You want to constantly be moving left and right using fakes and feints. Body kick, high kick, front kick, knee to the body. Time him coming in. Boom, boom, body kick. He's going to want to constantly switch stances, use fakes and feints. Fake the left hand. Boom, set up with the left body kick. Fake the left hand. Switch back to orthodox hook right body kick. You know, you want to set up these punches and set up these kicks. If it gets into boxing range, that's where Cub Swanson wins this fight. Boxing and clinch range. Kicking range, Chikadze picks him apart and gets an easy decision. If anybody's going to finish this fight, I think it's Swanson knocking out um, Chikadze. I think that you saw against Daniel Pineda, he still has power. He didn't finish um, Crone Gracie, but Swanson is just such a fun fighter to watch. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. He's been around for a long time. Um, the lead body kicks, you know, faking the right hand into the outside low kick, faking the right hand into a lead left high kick, going jab to lead left high kick to right hand to overhand right hook to low kick to front kick. You know, just, just mixing up, faking a takedown attempt, coming up with a high kick kind of like TJ Dillashaw, you know, one, two, hook, low kick, boom, 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 one, two, three, Overhand check left hook, left outside low kick, overhand right. You know, he just moves so effectively and so efficiently. Really good head movement, rolling and slipping out of the way of punches. That's why I think Chikadze has to work the body. You have to set up those body kicks. When Swanson's rolling and trying to avoid the headshots, fake up top, get him to roll, and then boom, chop that body kick. Switch southpaw, switch back to orthodox right hand, back to southpaw, left body kick. The body kicks and keeping it at kicking range and just sticking behind the jab and those kicks is going to win Chikadze this fight. If it stays in boxing range and clinch rings, um, Cub Swanson is going to eat him up with the boxing. The the uppercuts from the clinch, look out for that against Swanson. He's going to single collar, uppercut, overhand right, uppercut, left hook, left body shot. Um, the 1-1, boom, right shot to the body. He'll whip that body shot in left hook to the body. Those are going to be weapons for Swanson. It's all about boxing and clinch range and dirty boxing and making it a dirty fight, pushing Chikadze up against the cage. For Chikadze, you have to keep it at kicking range. You've got to land that left body kick, land the front kicks to the body, fake and faint, land the jab, the left hand, the right hand, switch stances constantly so Swanson doesn't know where you're going to be. Um, this is a fight I could see either guy winning. I'm rooting for Cub Swanson. I really want him to get the victory here, but, uh, I'm going to go with Giga Chikadze. I think he's going to be able to keep Swanson at range. I think he's going to make Swanson get a little bit hesitant to get into the boxing range because every time he tries to get in, he's going to either land a knee to the body, land that left body kick, um, land a high kick. You know, He's going to keep him at kicking range, blast those arms if he blocks the kick to make it harder for him to throw those boxing combinations when your arms are fatigued and from blocking all those shots. And then he goes to the body, goes to the head, and just works a – kickboxing style of point fight and wins a decision. I'm going to go with Giga Chikadze to get the victory via a 
unanimous decision. I think Swanson does have some good moments in this fight. If he uses his wrestling and using his ju- uses his jujitsu and then uses the setups of the wrestling to get into clinch range and land the boxing combinations, I think he can knock out Giga Chikadze, and I think he can win a decision by using his grappling because we've seen Chikadze have a little bit of trouble with the grappling against Omar Morales. He did get taken down and controlled for a short amount of time. He did get up to his feet, get up to a hip, and use the overhook to get up. But I think against Swanson... He can cause more trouble for him on the ground if he gets him down. Um, I'm rooting for Cub Swanson, but I'm going with Giga Chikadze um, to get the victory via decision. So uh, Giga Chikadze to get the win via a unanimous decision. All right, now we move to the best fight on the card. The main event of the evening between the number three ranked Dominic the Devastator Reyes. Coming into this fight with a record of 12 victories and two defeats. Going up against the number five ranked Yuri Denisa Prohaska holds a record of 27 victories, three defeats, and one no contest. Um, this is a great fight, a really, really great fight, and we're going to talk about the stats for this one. Uh, here we go. Let's go to the stats. So when you look at the overall, it's 6-4 is the height for Dominic Reyes to a 6-3 for Prohaska, so a one-inch height advantage for Reyes. Um, 77-inch reach for Dominic Reyes to an 80-inch reach for Prohaska. Prohaska is going to use that reach. He's got a very awkward style of movement. He reminds me of like a Dominic Cruz for the light heavyweight division. Kind of a mixture of, you know, Dominic Cruz and who else would you compare him to? He's like a light heavyweight version of Dominic Cruz with his movement and his his footwork and keeping his hands low. Um, maybe like a Dominic Cruz and... I don't know. He, he really just reminds me of a light heavyweight version of Dominic Cruz. And a uh, three-inch reach advantage for Prohaska, which is something he's definitely going to look to use in this fight. Uh, we go down more of the stats. Uh, leg reach is probably going to make a little bit of a difference. 43.5-inch leg reach for to 45-inch leg reach for Prohaska. So a 1.5-inch leg reach advantage for Prohaska here. Um, win percentages, this is where it's a big, big deal. Um like I said, Prohaska's 27-3-1. He's got an 89% knockout rate, finishing rate, in those 27 victories. I think 23 out of the 27 victories are finished via knockout. And uh, a few decisions. He has been knocked out before by King Mo Lawal, um, but he came back and beat him in the rematch via knockout. Um, 17%, 58% of wins coming by way of knockout for Reyes. 17% come, wins coming by way of submission for Dominic Reyes. Um, 7% of wins coming by way of submission for Prohaska. 25% decision rate, decision win rate for Reyes to a 4% decision rate for um, Prohaska. Both of these guys are finishers, and I guarantee you we're going to get a finish in this main event. Um, average fight time, 9 minutes and 7 seconds for Dominic Reyes. Prohaska's fight time isn't listed. I mean, he's only had one fight in the UFC, so I guess you can't really list it. Uh... Let's see. Let's go to significant strikes. Significant strikes landed per minute. Man, you know what? There, there's no real like stats for Prohaska, so that's all we're really going to cover. I guess we can talk about you know, significant strikes for Reyes, but there really wouldn't be a reason to considering that there's not any stats listed for Prohaska. He's only had one fight in the UFC. Um, Prohaska made his debut at UFC 251 against Volkan Uzdemir, who was ranked, I believe, number seven. When he took that fight, um, he got hurt against 
Volkan Uzdemir, um, but he was able to come back, land an inside left low kick to a left high kick, and then jump in, fake a flying knee to get the range, and then land the one overhand right, um, the overhand right hook, drop him, and knock him out cold in the second round. Um, big, big way to make a statement, but he did get touched up a lot. Prohaska has a weird style of keeping his hands really low. He keeps them, sometimes he'll keep them at waist level and cross his hands and just lean forward with his head and uh, then use the pullback, slip, bump his hips in, then switch back to the opposite stance to avoid the shots coming from the other way. He's very good at slipping, rolling, and pivoting off of his feet. You know, one, two, slip, pivot, you know, slip and quarter turn to get away from the shots. That's something I think is going to cause Dominic Reyes a lot of trouble. He's never really fought anybody with a, st- a sense of movement at 205 pounds like Yuri Prohaska. But the problem is there's really nobody that moves like that at 205 pounds. He's got the most elusive movement and the most awkward style of fighting in the entire light heavyweight division in the UFC. And this is going to cause problems for Dominic Reyes. 100% it's going to cause problems. When you look at Reyes, he's coming off that loss to Jan Blahovich at UFC 253. Prior to that, he had a loss to John Jones at UFC 247 in a fight that a lot of people thought he won three rounds to two. It was a close fight. Um, I believe John Jones won the fourth and fifth round. I had Reyes winning rounds one, two, and three. But I did pick Reyes to win that fight. I thought he got it done. They gave the decision to John Jones. Um, he said that he went into that Blahovich fight thinking about John Jones not really giving Blahovich a lot of attention and respect, and that's what caused him to get pieced up and get knocked out. He lost the Jones fight via decision. It was a split decision. He lost the he lost the um, Blahovich fight via knockout. Um, the left body kick of Blahovich, he would enter in on the right hand and then switch into a lead switch left body kick that was causing Dominic Reyes a lot of problems. Um, the combinations and the long range striking and just the awkward way that he set up those strikes was giving Reyes a lot of trouble because Reyes is so technically, he's technically basic, but efficient with those basics. If it makes sense, he's got good ability to, um, land the check, right hook into left high kick, check, right hook into left body kick, left low kicks inside and outside, depending on the stance of the opponent. Um, a good straight left hand, like we said. He can fade back to his left side, avoiding the straight right, and then counter over the top with a straight left as he fades back. He's got good defensive ability, good movement, good defense, but he's pretty basic in his approach. And I think the awkward style of Blahovich gave him a lot of problems, and I think the awkward style of Yuri Prohaska gives him a lot of trouble as well. Prohaska's going to come in. He's going to be switching stances. He's going to be moving a lot. I think the best weapons for Reyes in this fight are to chop the legs of Jerry Prohaska. You have to come out in that southpaw stance. When he's in orthodox, you're going to want to chop that outside or chop that inside leg, land the inside low kicks as he tries to use his awkward style of movement. You know, keeps his hands down, popping the jab, popping the jab, you know, popping the one, two, slip, slip, pivot, roll, you know, shoulder roll, um, bump his hips in, bump the other way to get out on the angle and move around. He's going to want to get him up against the cage, number one, and he's going to want to be very patient in this fight. You can't be too aggressive. I think if Reyes comes into this fight in the first round and gets over aggressive, he's going to get knocked out by Prohaska. I think that he's the, the stance switches, the power of Yuri, 
I mean, to knock out Volk and Uzdemir the way that you did, hurt him with the high kick, and then just land a 1-2 or a 1 overhand right, drop him and hurt him and knock him out cold. You know, Dominic Reyes fought Volk and Uzdemir and went to a decision. He got the decision win, but a lot of people thought that Vulcan won that fight. And I'm pretty sure, and I am pretty sure, hold on, let me, let me check. Yeah, he beat Vulcan Uzdemir via decision. A lot of people thought that Vulcan won that fight. I believe it was due to uh, low kicks and just wrestling ability or pushing him up against the cage. It was a close fight, but I think a lot of people thought Vulcan won that fight. And Vulcan did hurt Yuri a lot in their fight, and it was mainly with the left hand, which can be a problem. It was left hooks, the straight left, as Yuri tried to slip and roll out of the way of punches. His hands are so low that if he walks in, on Reyes and isn't ready for the straight left hand or the check right hook or the left kit left kicks. All the power shots from Reyes come from the left side. Sometimes he'll set it up with a check right hook if you're in a orthodox stance, or he'll set it up with the lead right uppercut to the straight left hand and then left body kick or left high kick. Um, the problem is it's going to be hard for Reyes to get his angles and get his stuff going because of how many times Yuri's going to switch stance. He's going to be moving around, keeping his hands low, switching from orthodox to southpaw, moving, taking his lead foot, his rear foot, and replacing his lead foot as he moves backwards to avoid your punches. He'll start in orthodox, you come forward, he'll move his lead foot back, switch into southpaw, land a check right hook, land a check right hook, left hook, then one switch uh, long uh, rear uppercut, Long rear uppercut to switch into southpaw, right hook, straight left. The movement, the angles, the footwork, and the head movement of Jury Prohaska is going to cause a lot of problems for a guy who's as basic as Dominic Reyes. Reyes can win this fight if he plays it completely safe and technical and measured like the John Jones fight. Doesn't get drawn into the movement and and uh, power and the awkwardness of Jury Prohaska if he doesn't get overconfident and try to attack Prohaska, he can win. You have to fight measured, fight patient, chop the legs, chop the body, land the straight left, get Prohaska to come in, boom, boom, land your combinations. If you get overly aggressive, Prohaska is going to knock you out. And the problem is, I think we're going to see a Dominic Reyes who comes into this fight looking to prove that he's one of the best in the world, but also being a little bit gun shy because he got knocked out so badly against Blahovich. And I think that mixture of wanting to show the world that you're the best in the world by beating a guy like Prohaska, but also being a little bit gun-shy because you got knocked out in your last fight is going to cause a lot of trouble for him. And I think Prohaska is going to use that footwork and movement. I think he's going to switch stances a lot. I think he's going to land that left high kick. I think he's going to land the inside kicks. I think he's going to switch stance and land a right hook as Dominic Reyes comes forward. I think he's going to hurt him. I think he's going to come forward, use a lot of fakes and feints, fake the flying knee, boom, boom, land the one, two, and drop Dominic Reyes and get a second round knockout victory. It's either second or third round. I'm a little bit you know, switched on which one I want to pick. I'm going to go with a second round knockout victory for Jiri Prohaska. I'm really high on this guy. I think he is, it is dangerous against a guy like Reyes because Reyes has so much power and his hands are so low in Prohaska that he can leave himself open for power shots. He got hit with a lot of left hands against Vulcan Uzdemir 
and uh, the left is the best shot from Dominic Reyes. But I think the movement is going to cause Dominic Reyes to freeze up a little bit and eventually get picked apart. I think he's going to overextend on a shot and get caught with the switch right hook straight left and then 1-2 down the middle, get dropped, and get finished. So my pick for this fight is Yuri Prohaska to defeat Dominic Reyes, vault himself into title contention via a second-round knockout. All right, guys, that's it. That's it for my preview and predictions and my wrap-up of UFC 261 and predictions for Reyes versus Prohaska. I can't wait for this fight. The Touch Em Up podcast is available anywhere your audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breakers, Stitcher, Anchor, and many, many more. Um, please feel free to donate to the podcast. There's a link. Um, just listening and getting this podcast out to more people is more than enough. But, um, you know, donating can help the podcast grow. But the more audience members and listeners we get, the, be- the bigger the Touch Em Up podcast can grow and the quicker we can become the number one MMA and pro wrestling podcast in the world. Speaking of pro wrestling, I will be having more wrestling reviews. I will be having more fantasy booking storylines. I love the fantasy book. Um, I have my boy Vinny. I've got my boy Darren. I've got my boy Darius. I have a lot of people who can work with me on fantasy booking scenarios. If you have a storyline you'd like to hear me fantasy book, we can do a head-to-head fantasy booking warfare. I can book the storylines myself. I can book new storylines, rebook old storylines, give you pay-per-view predictions. We can review old pay-per-views. I want to get more pro wrestling on this podcast. That is my goal, and that is what is going to happen. So I am your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?